guys, welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm Adrian, and finally, I, I feel really good about this because all those awesome people I met at New York Comic Con, I'm now finally in a position to actually start talking to them, and it feels so good because I, I always feel bad when I meet people and they're really awesome. It's like, oh yeah, I do a podcast, and unfortunately, their schedules don't pan out, or you know, people get the full idea to reboot their shows like right in the middle of the run. But actually, our today's guest is a illustrator, uh, designer, comic book artist, um, and also just an overall badass dude. Um, well, we'll get into how we ended up meeting, but uh, without further ado, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Frank Espinoza. Frank, how's it going, man? Hey, Adrian, how's it going? Uh, thank you so much for having me. No, no problem. It's been awesome. And again, I know we had met, well, this is what, going back October of New York Comic Con? Yeah. And yeah, definitely. it's pretty funny because originally, and I'm not, I don't say this to be mean, but where we met, we were kind of like in that small press area because you had um, a booth for your company, The Art of Frank Inc. And I think I was maybe at like the booth next to yours or maybe two down. And I feel bad for whoever I was talking to because halfway through that conversation, I immediately tuned out because I heard music and I'm like, that sounds like, but that can't be. But who knows of this band? I'm like, I had and I literally like I felt bad because I I feel like I deliberately cut the previous conversation short, slid over. I'm like, are you playing Barrier Dead? <laughs> and it was pretty awesome because in the whole time, like we hadn't even gotten into your comics, so we spent a better half of like 15 minutes just talking music and talking about Barrier Dead. Um, for those who don't know, they're a hardcore band out of what Massachusetts, right? Out of New England. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so it was just like we kind of really started vibing on that. And then from there, you know, we went on to your comic book projects. And it was cool because I know one of the functions of having, you know, you guys, when you guys have booths at comic shows, you know, obviously you're there to promote your stuff. But it was cool that we kind of got to meet on that level. Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, it's, uh, I, oh, God, I'm sorry. I need to cut you off. <laughs> no, it's cool. <laughs> but uh, I guess we should probably get into this, though. So your book Regenesis. yes that was actually the um, book you had um there do you mind maybe going into a little bit of what the book actually is about sure definitely um basically it is a graphic adult actually graphic novel it's uh the titles of uh, there's actually four books two have been published and two are in the works but in the meantime uh, we just finished book two and basically the book is about a billionaire heiress that was murdered by her husband, brought back to life by a mysterious shaman, had her soul put into a body of a local stripper. And from there, in order to sustain life, she has to suck the souls of the, basically the, the evil. So she feeds off evil and that's what keeps her you know, regener uh, regenerated. And uh, yeah, so basically she's out for revenge and it's a, blue, a bloody, gruesome, um, sexy story uh, told in four parts and we just see where she goes, where either she becomes, um, you know, either she, she gets justice or even worse, gets revenge. So uh, we'll see how that turns out. Right, because I did read... Wait, you still there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. For some reason, you know what? Let me just do something on my end because... I guess the audio had dropped out, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to record this on a separate track, so at least that way I have it. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm going to jump in the middle. Okay, that's fine. All right, so, 
Yeah, I had actually bought book one and book two that day, and it's actually really cool. But it's a I didn't realize how honestly how dark it was because I think after I had met you, like the day after, I was waiting for a friend of mine to get into the city. So of course I'm catching up on all the books I had read prior, and I was like, you know, this is a really cool story. I'm like, holy shit! Like this got really. It's a really intense book, and I noticed the one thing though. It's really. I like how, you know, the story is told usually through, like, a visual medium. Like, because I know a lot of times, a lot of books, you know, they kind of get very bogged down with a lot of exposition. But a lot of the story unfolds, and in a way, you almost kind of don't know what's about to happen until it actually happens. But what is actually the inspiration behind the story? Like, where did you actually draw, like, you know? Draw inspiration? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, definitely, thank you for the kind words. Um, basically... I basically the story is a, I forgot to mention it's based out of Las Vegas and um, although I'm originally from New York um, I visited Las Vegas a couple of the times with a um, a company that I was working with we were doing a trade show called the Consumer Electronics Show with the CES which they usually give around um, in January for all the big tech shows anyway um, it was my first time back in see, it was 2008. And I stepped foot on Las Vegas, and uh, I never saw anything like it. It was, I mean, even being from New York, you know, we're you know, a big city and whatnot. But when you hit um, the pavement over there, it's like even just the airport itself is just super decked out in casinos and um, slot machines and everything. But even um, just getting off the plane, I felt this, I don't know, like a smell in the air, like an evil vibe of the, of the town. And, and I just felt like, wow, this place is charged with like a dark energy, and I need to tap into this. So, um uh, the more I got into the city, like we went to the uh, mostly you know, the big strip, and um, and from then on, I even went to the casinos. I just like looking at things and even the people there. I just felt like, wow, um, this is like where you know when you see in Hollywood, you know they portray like the you know scenes going on and whatnot. But I felt like when I was there, I was like, wow, I I, I felt such evil everywhere. Not that I'm like a prude or anything, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was like, wow, this is really, I don't know, I just felt this dark energy. And I was like, you know what, I can I can imagine a story here. And um, previously to, to Regenesis, um, back in college, uh, back in, when I graduated in 2005, um, I was working on a, on the book, uh, on a, an illustrative adaptation of the Book of Revelations called, which I called Apocalon, which is basically the apocalypse and Babylon put together, Apocalon. So I made some character design pieces for the uh, Book of Revelations. So, and I had one character, Babylon, and I was like, uh, what, "You can actually see this on my website, uh, theartoffrank.com. I'll send the link uh, later on uh, to the actual page. But basically, uh, when I created this character, Babylon, I was like, "What is her story?" And in, in the Book of Revelations, she's basically um, the whore of Babylon. And how do we get past that? Like, like what's more to that? So then, and I have to say, you know what? I, I've got to come up with the with something to explain this because it was one of my, my best that I created for that um, series. So I was like, you know what? Um, and it just came to me when I was there in Vegas. I was like, this is it. This is the beginning of the end of the world. So um, so basically, Regenesis is also a catalyst to that series, Apocalypse, which will be you know much more in the future. But in the meantime, uh, yeah, Regenesis is basically the the start of the end or the beginning of the end. So that's the beginning of Babylon, our character. And she's the main character of Regenesis. So, um, so yeah, so my inspiration was basically the town of Vegas. and uh... It's pretty nuts because there's definitely that apocalyptic bend to the book, which was interesting because even in the first couple of pages, there's, even when you see this heiress, there's really nothing savory about the character. 
And it's really it's really cool how that sort of ties in. So, but I actually didn't even know that you know the book really even had ties to, of course, you know, spirituality or you know religion in terms of revelation. So, I'm imagining obviously like a lot of your work is inspired by such, or or is that too uh, presumptuous to say? Um, here and there, like uh, well, definitely the uh, the Pokemon series is based on um, religion, but it was a dark taste take on. It. So when you when you see the um, the series, you'll see like people are like, wow, this is um, how do you how did you find that in the Bible or how did you find that in Revelations and whatnot? But um, yeah, I just I just don't imagine you know the end to be so pretty. So uh, <laughs> so yeah, so it's uh, I am you know I'm, me naturally I am a, I'm a devout Roman Catholic, um, but at the same time it's uh, my artwork expresses other sides of me that I don't express quite often. So uh, uh, sometimes yeah, the darkness that that I feel in in other things, or if I can tap into something, then I'll just express it in my artwork or whatnot. So um, yeah, so it's it's a it's an, a good assumption. <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> well, I'm actually kind of worried now because that's kind of interesting. Because I'm, I, you know, I'm sure for those listening, I'm sure who probably believe that and probably understand exactly where you're coming from, and some maybe who don't understand that. But I mean, personally, I could definitely, you know, had that vibe. I mean, I've never been to Vegas necessarily, but something so strong. Like, I mean, there's the reason why it's called Sin City. I mean, there's no secret That's about exactly. it. <laughs> but that is absolutely fantastic. Oh, thank you. So, um, is there a release date for book two or book three? I mean, book three or book four? Hmm. Actually, uh, we're work. Uh, actually, I'm already working on the treatment with my writer. Um, oh, my writer's name is Leah Hagen. She's been with me in uh, two other uh, Comic Cons in 2011 and 2012, but unfortunately, she wasn't able to make it the uh, for 2014. But um, uh, she's like a tag team partner with me. Like, well, I I created the story, but then she helped um, flesh it out with uh, her great writing skills. She's such an an awesome writer. So um, she and I will be touching base very soon. She's uh, based out of San Francisco now. Uh, she was at one point here in New York, so she's in San Francisco. But we touch base, um, and we'll we'll be working on a treatment for book three very soon. So I would say uh, probably the end of 2015, beginning of 2016, approximately. But yeah, we already got I've already got some, some like really good story ideas or. Uh, the next chapter for uh, for book three. So therefore, we just got to come together, make some final decisions. And then after that, we start production. Hopefully, by summer, I'll start, you know, producing artwork for it. And then after that, um, we'll see. But most likely end of um, end of the 2015. Awesome. So your production company itself, Art of Frank, because, you know, just looking from the site, you have, you know, you have commercial work, you have character designs. Um, what are some other projects that you've worked on recently? Uh, well, recently, well, at one point we were um, we did creative services. So let's say if you needed a logo designer or any graphic design or even web um, small web interface, uh, I was able to do that with uh, the Art of Frank. But now I'm more concentrating on the publishing end of it. So um, you know, Regenesis is my um, first graphic novel series. But afterwards, I would like to create more and go more in that direction. Although the creative services route, I've been able to um, sustain myself in the past, but uh, yeah, we're now we're just trying to focus more on the on the publishing side uh, of current projects. Uh, sometimes I do freelance illustration as well. I also um, I'm also working on, on a tattoo design for uh, actually someone that I met near Comic Con, based off one of my sketches. So they um, they saw something in my sketch. And we were talking about that, so we're working on that. But other than that, uh, I keep it mostly with Regensis right now. And if something comes up, then I may be able to, to take it on. But I also have a, a full time job as well. But um, and also I'm a dad, <laughs> so um, 
yeah so uh that's my my full my uh you know my heart belongs to my little guy that's got to be intense though because it's it's one thing to then just you know make a comic book and just release it but obviously you have you know an entire company doing illustration and commercial work on top of already having a full-time job and also you have a family how do you even find the time for that because i honestly i thought just doing the podcast was uh was busy but i mean holy crap you don't i imagine you don't sleep much <laughs> yeah well uh, <laughs> yeah that is uh, that is true um but at the same time you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for like the number one best thing i have in my my life is my my wife and my son and they're, they're the most important thing so no matter what like although my my business is very important i always uh, they put them first so no matter what like when i'm with my son and my wife uh, when i after work i come i spend time with them until they both sleep like around like around nine o'clock and then after um i work on emails and then i stay up until maybe like one or two just working on this and then i try to keep as much you know a nice balance between also a uh, treat squeezing the the gym as well try to keep my help as well but um uh sacrificing i say sacrificing is probably one of the biggest things um I feel like I put family first, but then afterwards, um, there's like tons of movies and video games and things I would love to do in my free time. But unfortunately, I just have to pick. Think about it. I think about it this way: as much as I would love to catch that new movie, or as much as I want to play that game, I think to myself, "Okay, I'm playing somebody else's hard work. I've got to put my hard work into my stuff, so this way someone else can play it." And and basically, um, it's unfortunate, but there's times where, like, I, I just, I, as even as a parent, I just cannot catch up with a lot of these movies that are coming out lately. So, um, some people say, "Hey, if you saw this, no, I just saw Rango the other day." So, well, <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> you know what? Not gonna lie though, that was a pretty awesome movie. So I'm glad you actually saw it at all. Oh yeah, yeah, it's great. And then, um, yeah, it's it, it's funny sometimes. Uh, even uh, I, I catch an old movie on TV and say, "Hey, I just caught this movie from 1961. It's really cool." But you know, it's uh, it's whenever I do, and I have my family time. I you know, I also try to you know mix in the movie time. So sometimes we'll even catch something on network television. But in the end, um, yeah, I definitely keep the the TV to an extreme minimum. I maybe just watch one show, and it's uh, The Big Bang Theory. I love that show. So at least I'll catch the new episodes of that. But other than that, I um. I definitely have to sacrifice and say, okay, no, um, no shows for now. Just um, I'd rather spend the whole if the one the baby's asleep and just uh, concentrate on uh, Regenesis because itself um, production of a comic book, uh, doing the pencil slash ink, coloring, writing, and all of that, and editing, it takes about about six months to almost a year. Wow. Um, that's with the job and whatnot. Like if I had it full time, then maybe, you know, if I was doing this full book, book one actually did full time. That took me about three to six months. So, and that was just concentrated. They like, like, you know, almost like a nine to five thing working on a book. But then um, now it's like, I have to consolidate any free time that I have. I have to like put it into either marketing Regenesis, uh, working on Regenesis or even, um, you know, some freelance work to pick up some, you know, some income. But other than that, um, yeah, I just have to make sure to use my time as a, uh, you know, as wisely as possible, basically. So, sacrifice. We, you know, I probably should have touched on is the fact that, I mean, you know, obviously you have your writer, um, you have a very small team working on this book because it's you, Aaliyah, and is there anybody else working on a book? Because I can't remember. There was another name that escapes me at the moment. 
oh, Mariola Espinoza. That's my wife. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, so uh, she does the flat coloring. So um, I remember in book one and book two, she did the flat colors, but I'm not sure in book three she'll she'll contribute a little bit, but that was before the baby came along. So um, now, uh, you know, if she has any free time, uh, she may help me out here and there with the, the flats, but uh, yeah, she was part of our, she, she is part of our team, so she's more like now... Uh, more of a consultant <laughs> and she'd be like okay uh all right frank uh, let's get back to work <laughs> hey you know what you, you sometimes you need that though but again that's something that is pretty remarkable because you know you think about a big publisher and obviously you have so many moving parts there's so many people who are doing maybe lettering and inking and coloring you know you have your publishers but Really, self-publishing, and uh, I mean, I've talked to a few guys about this. Matter of fact, I'm a gentleman who I'll be having on in a uh, couple episodes. He's also a self-publisher. You realize that you're really kind of taking on, it's a massive undertaking because, you know, being a comic book fan, I don't think some people realize just how much work, and sometimes I don't even realize how much work actually goes into making a book. So while, you know, it, it's nice to see, you know, a major studio bring out a book like monthly, but, you know, when you're a small crew, it takes that much more work and involvement. But not for nothing, that's pretty commendable because, again, I don't know how many people could really pull that much duty and then on top of everything else. Yeah, uh, thank you. And I, um, and it's, it's very, uh, I'm, you know, thank you for, for noticing that as well because it's like, a, it, it is some, sometimes people say, oh, indies or self published. They're like, ah, you know, it's, it's, it's hokey or if it's like um, amateur, but it's really, think about it this way. It's like, um, Thankfully, we're doing this because if not, then you're only going to have, let's say, just the the you know the big super major uh, companies, and it's great for the little guys like, out there just pushing um pushing their stuff out there. Because think about it this way: it's like it's almost like they're the monopoly, and you don't want to just have um you know people tell you, oh, here, this is all you have. To. You've you've got so much variety out there, and and um and just having the you know the independent publishers out there, you know, doing their thing. It's 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 and it's very um it helps just um overall with everything just especially the the views on on comics and whatnot so it's it's great to have just such a great variety so um uh, so yeah it's it's very difficult but at the same time it's um it's worth it because i feel like you know then we've, we've got such a you know great array of of um work out there but i guess at the same time too it does spell into the fact that i guess having a fan base or generating a fan base i mean you know off that you know they're dedicated but i imagine like as far as marketing goes um I don't know if maybe someone out there is listening who might be looking to get into their own books. I mean, I guess, is there any sort of strategy in terms of marketing or maybe even just self-publishing, I guess? What would you say are, like, the steps one would need to take? I mean, you've already mentioned sacrifice, but I'm not sure if you have any other sort of little, like, tips or anything that might actually help somebody else. In regards to marketing? Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, in regards to marketing, I think one of the best things is – um I'm one just getting it out there and um the first publishing it getting that's the hugest step it's like I feel like once you get that one book done and it itself it's all the work has done been done already now it's just talking about your finished uh piece and it's a little bit easier because then you're like okay I went through like 6 months to do this you know I definitely can tell you all the stories and all that stuff so um it's easier to talk about once you created it it's another thing when you plan and you say oh yeah I'm going to do that big book one day but once you get it done and then you can it's 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 one of the greatest things just to market it because then you uh, like uh, especially with, like what we do is the comic book trailers. Um, I usually just grab uh, screenshots of the pages inside and I time it to music, and then I release it as a kind of exactly like a little trailer. So um, 
once the work is done, then it speaks for itself. That's basically what I'm trying to say. So um, I think the best, the most, the best thing you can never do is just uh, produce something, whether it's quote unquote good or bad. Um, no matter what quality it is, um, just getting it done. Then you have so much to talk about. Then it's easier to to push this because you know it's it's done and now it's of just uh, getting it out there. It's almost like um, it's easier to have a trailer than it is a teaser because sometimes you see these teasers out there and they have like um, they're trying to make something out of nothing. While a trailer is more like having something out of well something that's coming out soon. So I guess the biggest thing I could say number one is having it out there and number two is believing your believing in yourself. Especially um, getting a booth out there at New York Comic Con, whether it's either Artist Alley or even Small Press, it's it's a lot of money. But think about it this way: um, you're you know putting yourself out there literally, and um, people will pick up on that. And once they pick up on that, then you have something you know to start conversations with. And then once you have that one person or two people who purchase your book, you know, then you'll have that energy to like, wow, you know, I've got enough of a, you know, a little buzz to get me going for the next uh, Comic-Con or a next book too. And it just starts to snowball from there. So, um, yeah, I think the number one most important thing is just do it. I don't like to sound like Nike, but. <laughs> well, I was going to say, well, hopefully they are not listening and, well, I have like maybe a couple of singles in my wallet. So hopefully Nike will take those. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back a little bit, I guess. Um into your past a little bit because I'm always interested in terms of one of my favorite things about talking to people on the show is figuring out where their geek origins come from so I guess let's go back to a young Frank Espinoza so what was your first sort of exposure into comic book culture or even you know geek culture whatever you want to call it where does it start for you well that's a, a great question because I feel like uh hmm Actually, it was it's it's funny. Like today, this um, I was just trying to th- find something on TV and I couldn't find it. Um, oh, I'm on vacation today, so I was like, oh, "What can I want?" And I couldn't find anything on network television. And I said, "You know what? Let me go back to something I really love." Then I just put on Darkwing Duck. Out of, no- out of nowhere, I just put it on YouTube, and I was trying to get my son to it, and he wasn't into it. So, uh, basically, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, "What?" That's like, you know, he's like only a year. But still, like, um, it's funny. Like, uh, that makes me think. Like, automatically, when you tell me the origins, like, how deep can I go? And I'm like, okay, Saturday morning cartoons. That's where it started. Um, because I remember as a very young child, either the like, like uh, three or four years old, where I can remember. I remember I was just so glued to television in regards to like cartoons. Every cartoon that came out, especially um, the Disney Afternoon back in the days, and and um, especially just the Saturday morning lineup. I remember. Um, just ever back then there was no YouTube. There was no um online downloads where you if you missed a show, you missed a show. And, and it was it, heartbreaking. Yes. There yes, was nothing exactly. more crushing than either waking up late or having to do something and not watching your cartoons. Because mm-hmm. you knew on Monday everybody was gonna be talking about it and you didn't want to be that one kid that but, missed like, it. <laughs> missing all the references and whatnot. So it was one of those things like that Saturday, either I remember there was some hardcore cartoons that came out at six, like um, I remember, yeah. um, like some cartoons that were like, I remember Darkstalkers. Used to okay. come oh my God. Cartoons. You remember Darkstalkers? How great was this cartoon? I remember like either like, no, not Street Fighter, but definitely Darkstalkers. Like, my friend of mine said, oh, it comes out like around six or like six thirty or seven o'clock, like really early before all the cartoons came out. So from then on all the way until like, what, 
afternoon until like Stay by the Bell came on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which is around like what twelve one o'clock. Yeah. Because then, like on some channels, I think it was like CBS, you'd get like those weird shows that weren't quite cartoons, but they weren't like adult programs. Like there was um like Beekman's World or like yeah the Amazing Live Sea Monkeys and like weird shit like that. Like it's just. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it was like that whole Saturday morning was dedicated to that, and I remember um. It was like uh, from then on, like I, I knew I was like, I, I love cartoons. And and even after school, I remember when the Disney afternoon, I, I was always on, um, you know, on it, watching it. And then um, it, I remember so into comics now into getting into comics. I remember it was the X-Men animated series on Fox when that came on. Um, I just got into like Spider-Man on my own. But then I was like, oh, wow. And it's just Marvel Universe. And I was like. Then I collected the Marvel um was it was it Marvel Universe series three uh, trading cards, and I then for those yes, and I remember uh, I always wanted to get the holograms, but then I just learned from the characters in the back of the cars and it, their power ratings. So I collected them with my friends, and it just grew from there. And I said, oh, you know what? I want to learn uh, um, more about them. I, and I went to the comic book store, and I played um, either uh, I would actually play the actual video games and the arcades there, or the um, I would pick up some of the books. And I remember. A big story arc when I was little um, was Maximum Carnage with um, the Amazing Spider-Man series. Yep. So I remember that was one of my biggest arcs. And then after that, I just started reading books and getting into it. And um, yeah, to the part where like, uh, that's it. My life changed from then on. I was com- um, you know, completely geeked out and and just grew and evolved from that. And then I remember, what was it? I was around second or third grade when I said, you know what? Let me pick up a pencil. And um, I just I wouldn't trace because it was frowned upon, but I would look at a book and then draw from that or I would close. Saturday morning cartoons led into, um, let's say, the, the, the Fox animated series and the comic books and then. You know, and then from then on and then on. So I would say definitely Saturday morning cartoons. And it's a shame now. I just read an article that there's no Saturday morning cartoons anymore. <laughs> yeah, this was fairly recently. And it was pretty heartbreaking because I always felt like in a way, like I understand, you know, the way things are. Obviously, they want to push more educational programming, which I get. But, mm-hmm. I mean, to completely get rid of Saturday morning cartoons, you know, especially since, you know, it, A, it was an institution and B, I mean, that really... Is instrumental. I mean, as much as the educational stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are some like pretty awful Saturday morning cartoons. It's just, I mean, whoever came up with Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Well, I don't try to like crap on their art. It's just like, okay, I, this is clearly focus tested. <laughs> uh yeah, and and some of them. I remember um, what creepy crawlers. I remember that was like that. That um, was it the uh, this thing where you used to, used to create your your insects in this like it was I think the male version of um, the easy bake like, oven. oven. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I was like that. I remember as a kid, I I sniffed it out. I was like, oh man, this is basically uh, you're making a cartoon out of a um, a toy. The only exception is Mighty Max. I remember Mighty Max. I did not like the toy. I thought it was a terrible toy, but the show was mind-blowing. That was an intense show. It really was. That was almost a little too much for me. And I don't know if you've ever played the video game for that. Uh, The Super Nintendo version? I played the Sega Genesis version myself. Uh, I have it. I own it. (laughs) Oh, God. How uh, I first off, just just from from me to you, I am so sorry you had to go through that in your childhood. 
Because hmm. <laughs> that was the one that, if I'm remembering correctly, that was a game where you had to like throw like boulders into like a portal or something weird. Yes, yes. And it barely had any ties in with the show. And I remember they had a little, the instruction booklet had like the five, the last five pages. Oh, free comic book. But it was like it was, uh, the last five pages, pages of the instruction booklet. And it was great. But then after that, I was like, I don't see much of the show in this. And, and uh, yeah, it, just, it was just extremely boring. And um, I never beat it and I never wanted to beat it. It's still in my collection. As in, I'm just hoping that maybe one day I can find a, a, a something online for cheats or whatnot to see what's the whole point of the game. But overall, I thought the show was amazing. I remember there was like some episode I still kept on VHS. But um, yeah, that that was one of those things where like um, some cartoons were based off of toys that were completely uh, commercials. They were like almost like 30-minute uh, commercials <laughs> uh, for these toys. And others were like, you know, little surprise hits. And that was one of the biggest surprise hits that I remember when I was a kid. But um but, uh, yeah. I wonder if that holds up, though, because mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you had that issue where sometimes you'll go back and maybe on YouTube or something and rewatch maybe an episode of a cartoon you long since, like, you long loved. And looking back, and unfortunately, you're kind of watching it through that filter of an adult going, wow, I don't remember. Like, wow, this was, I was into this? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. Um, I remember as a kid, the, these, this, the animation looked amazing. It was mind-blowing. And now I'm an adult. Um, I actually went to um, college for illustration and uh, I had a minor in animation. So I actually um, studied traditional cell animation. Oh, and cool. Oh, I'm sorry? I said, oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> oh, thanks. Um, so now looking back at those old uh, cartoons, the Saturday, either the Saturday morning or even the, the weekly cartoons, um, I look back and I said, wow, um, that was not a lot of work. I remember I didn't like Street Sharks back then, but I remember even back then I didn't find it was great. But now I saw hundreds of flaws in it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, how did this get away? Um, there was even like one scene where like the train was going on a track and it wasn't on the track. It was just moving. And um, I remember it was in the, the Super Mario Brothers uh, Super Show. Oh no! Don't yeah. break my heart because I know no. you're gonna say something that's gonna crush my spirit. But please tell me. No, it was it's a great show. <laughs> but then I remember watching an episode, and there was one scene where um, Mario's face wasn't painted on the character, and I was like, "Whoa, that just flew!" I mean, like, what was the quality control back then? I guess they were like cranking out so many cartoons. They were like, "Ah, no one's gonna notice a face is missing or or something." So it was one of those things. Where, like now, when, when I'm looking back at it, I'm like. Now I can see these flaws, and I'm like, gosh, I wish I was a kid again so I can like see right through it. But yeah, I mean, I see right through it, uh, <laughs> fall for it. But now, like, I'm, I'm looking at things too analytical. Like, huh? How do they get that background pan to work? Oh, and some, some, like, like today I was watching that same Darkwing Duck episode, and I was like, wow, the animation is spot on, and it's still like, like 20 years later, and it's like, it's still, it still held up really well. Like, that was Disney, of course, but. Um, right, because they're usually uh, they usually kind of go all out, even with their cartoons. But did mm-hmm. you notice a lot of flaws with theirs, just from like as far as animation, or uh, like, or was it only like because I noticed a lot of the shows that you mentioned that were kind of weird. Those were a lot of shows that were like on the Fox Kids Club. So <laughs> yeah, it was weird. Oh, and even worse, someone some of them were I think Deke Entertainment, D I C Entertainment, and that would yep. appear only on Channel Nine. It was like, well, Mighty Max was one, which was acting. I felt like the animation was actually pretty, pretty good. But then, Creepy Callers had crappy animation. Uh, Street Sharks had horrendous animation. Uh, <laughs> there was a, a, a spinoff with dinosaurs. Uh, that one was—I forgot the name of that one—but that was also 
uh, <laughs> pretty bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is my little one-year-old in the background. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Oh, he he just left. But um. But uh, <laughs> I was gonna say, oh great, Dad's talking about street sharks. Let me go. <laughs> yeah. Um. No, he just uh. No, it's fun. Like he won't. He won't. Like I'll, I'll, I'm. I can imagine. Like now at this age, I'm looking at it, it's like oh, it's not that great. Imagine with him looking at it, it's like um like a lot of the, his cartoons now I've noticed are mostly 3D, and I notice that he notices that. Like he picks up on 3D animation versus 2D. So it's like some certain things he's not going to be like um grab. Like I showed him like old school Mickey Mouse with um the cell animation. Right. He recognizes the characters, but he's not too into it. But then the clubhouse which is completely 3d he like he's stuck on that he'll he'll stare at that for hours so it's interesting how like even the he, he's so young but like uh, the new generation it's almost like it's the standard now 3d is a cool thing and whatnot but like us dinosaurs i guess like <laughs> we're more into like um uh, yeah just the, we were kind of like one of those last generations i feel that kind of had that transition from you know hand-drawn cell animation to 3d and of course unfortunately now i feel like how my parents probably felt when they first saw like toy story where it's like you know this is the animation we used to have back in the day you know back in the good stuff and you look back i'm like oh man how i, I don't know if i could defend this as heavily because it's like <laughs> but i guess everything has a like a time and a place but mm-hmm. it, i guess there's still of course you know you being who you are you'll probably still at least show your son you know the, the history of and saying, hey, you know, while he may not necessarily hold the same affinity for it that you do since you grew up with it, but it's at least now he can at least see, you know, what came before. So that's actually pretty awesome. Oh, yes. If I have to give him, once he gets a little older, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll go through like the you know Disney classics or even um, even, uh, yeah, I'll, I'd love to show him some of the, the Fox animation uh, not Fox, uh, the um, X-Men animation um, and certain yes. things. Like, I, I'm sorry? No, I said, looking back, like, the X-Men animation was surprisingly, like, it still holds up. Yeah. And it's actually, it was very faithful to the material, too, which was uh, surprising. Because, I mean, not that it was, like, um, too mature, per se. But um, even as a kid, I was thinking to myself, I mean, it, it, it stuck with me as a kid. I remember I remember the plot lines and whatnot. But I'm surprised that they were, uh, this was meant for very young children, like, you know, seven or eight and whatnot. And... And they gave us. It felt like they weren't talking down to me. It felt like okay, this is exactly what they were, you know, doing in the comics here. Like especially Days of Future Past, I saw that as a, you know, it was both a com. It was based off of the comic. It was so, you know, it was pretty much close to faithful to the material. So uh, I was surprised that they even went that far and they would explain certain things and even the themes of it. Like you could tell it was, a, it was especially uh, it was about mutants and whatnot, but it felt you could sense like it was it was about like almost like the stuff that was going on back in the civil rights movement. You could you felt that as a kid. So I was felt feeling like a little bit of a it was almost educational in that sense too. Like um, you didn't have to use like race, you just using the like mutants and whatnot. We saw that comparison, so it was it was very deep, especially for you know quote unquote a kid show. So uh, I was glad that we got we got such great content back then where i felt like nowadays people are they're censoring too much at the point i'm like wow i'm glad that the ratings back then pg-13 and r were a lot looser than they are now now they're a little bit um so tight where like i'm like whoa we especially remember um the ninja turtles the first the uh, first uh, movie yes i was watching that a couple of weekends ago it's yeah. one of my favorites of all time yeah and it's almost it felt like now that i'm looking back at it if i felt like Maybe a young Christopher Nolan directed it because it had such a dark tone to it. It really and, did. 
And I guess maybe because there wasn't a lot of, you know, blood and profanity. Like, it was... Because I don't remember the original rating for that. Was that PG-13 or was it PG? I, you know, to me, it blurs the line. I, th- th- what makes it a little bit PG-13 was the fact that Raphael screamed, damn. and Multiple I, times in that movie. I think he actually was the one that made me curse. Yeah, and they, <laughs> they actually used their weapons. And it was like, you know, some action and fighting in it. And then after... Words I, I read up on it that uh, a lot of the parents were like, okay, you know what? Uh, let's tone it down for part two. And part two was very, um, they were a little bit lighter. And then part three, oof, or I forget about Laura, part three, but. <laughs> oof, I almost tempted. I was actually joking um, with a, a friend of mine on our last episode that I was going to sit down and rewatch three and try to do like a podcast reviewing it. Mm-hmm. And I realized I don't think I could do it because I think maybe about 20 minutes into it, I, I just immediately check out. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I, I have it. And I, actually, it's so funny. I have parts one, two, three, and TMNT, the, the three animation they did. I literally went part one, part two, skipped part three, and went straight to TMN2, TMNT. And I was thinking to myself, wow, um, I don't know why. I just don't want to go to that. I and mean, I'll, I'll have the courage to go back. <laughs> go see the, I even saw the last time I saw part three was in the movie theater when I first I didn't know about it. And I went to see it with my mom. And and I don't know why it just stuck to me that I, just, I, I can wait. It's okay. I, I'm not that dying to see it. <laughs> I feel bad. I, I love Ninja Turtles. Nothing wrong against them. And, and I wasn't too thrilled about TMNT, the quote-unquote part four. But um, it was eh, it was all right. It, it felt part like- four had a really good, like, uh, the subplot I thought was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like, the actual storyline with the guy who's immortal, with the statues of his siblings. All right, that's kind of cheesy. But I really did like that underlying storyline where that rivalry between Raphael and Leonardo kind of yeah. really came to a head. Oh, wow. That was that was intense. And I was like, wow. That, I wish they would have filmed that, where I would have seen, quote-unquote, my guys in rubber suits. But, like, my friend was like, oh, you like those guys in rubber suits? Because he actually liked the TM and uh, the, the new Ninja Turtles, the uh, Michael Bay-produced ones. Mm. And I'm like, I don't know. To me, I, well, the, the great things about the, the Jim company is the fact that um, it's, uh, yeah, they, they're guys in, quote-unquote, rubber suits. But those, the thing about it, it's that CGI. There's nothing there. While the rubber suits, it's actually a physical person, and it's a physical thing, and um, you know, get to uh, you know, you get to gravitate towards that a little bit more. Like I just love the fact that you know their the eyeballs blink and there's mouths move, and it just fit, to me it felt real. Uh, whether it, you know, not yeah, and, and even like I'm a Toka and Razar. Yet now I see that they're you know completely you know, animatronic, but still it was just the detail work behind it and the and. Um, there's all that work that, that you know went through it just just people the time that the, that the, to you know to go through that that was just um you know impressive even to me now looking back at that and i just something that cgi just can't do to that like i think that's one of the reasons why i think the dark knight did so well is the fact that i mean there was very little cgi to that but still it was like it's it's great acting and you have your characters it was like joker and batman it was just you have their costumes there's no cgi to that it's just amazing acting and then just great costume work as well. So it just felt like that was like true drama right there, uh, as opposed to having such, you know, glitz and glamour of, um, uh, you know, CGI. Although CGI, there's certain things that, you know, they do remarkably well. Like, I don't think they can pull off another Hulk like they did with the Avengers. Like, I remember, I love my Blue Ferrigno Hulk, but, you know, that, I, I, I'm very thankful for CGI. <laughs> but <laughs> other than that, yeah, no more bodybuilders or green, green, uh, green bodybuilders with little... Uh, wigs on i prefer that okay let's keep it with cgi but um there's certain things that i feel like um you know just some certain sense of realism is still um 
preferred and whatnot. So, um, yeah. Definitely. I, unfortunately, I feel like I don't. I, I don't. I, I tend to get very. I tend to toe a line because I part of me almost doesn't want to. Because I always feel like I sort of start demonizing, you know, CGI. But you're right. Something I guess does get lost. But again, I, I guess it's by exemplified by let's say you know someone like your son, whom I guess never had that connection to it because they're seeing it from 3D. I guess it's. You know, it's it's less of a right or wrong, and I guess it's just more of a you know cultural thing of like what you're used to. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I look back and look at you know things that my parents grew up with, and obviously I try to get an appreciation for it because I have to look at it through their eyes and say, obviously when they were growing up, this was considered you know state of the art. Mm-hmm. But then even then, you could still see how amazing things were. Like even watching like let's say the Ray Harryhausen movies, like you know Seven Voyages of Sinbad and Jason the Argonauts. You know, with like a lot of stop motion animation, and you're saying to yourself, I mean, they look so primitive, but then back then you realize to have to animate, you know, a figure frame by frame, you know, especially at that time where, you know, cinema was such a, you know, was such a new thing. Like, I can only imagine how mind blowing that must have been seeing it for the first time. Mm, yeah, I, I totally agree. Actually, they were giving Jason and the Argonauts um, the other day, and I caught some of that too. And uh, yeah, it, you know, it's, it, it's, it's one of those things where like, uh, yeah, we we went through that too with um, Terminator One. That was a, a drastic change from Terminator One to Terminator Two. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but if it wasn't for Terminator One and that like you know choppy robot, <laughs> or you know, eight <laughs> hundred, I think. Uh, yeah, the T. Yeah, the eight hundred. Yeah, that well, it was you know choppy and like uh, it's even screamed a like, like that, like little pterodactyl scream there. But uh, when it got crushed, I remember. Um, but even then, like, had it not been for that, it wouldn't have, you know, spawned. Just the idea. It's just the idea and the overall uh, concept of time travel and the Terminator for that first movie. Had we not had that, we wouldn't have, you know, T2 with the liquid metal and then T3 with the, it was a, I forgot the name for that one. It was a TX, I think. That was I think name. it was, yes, TX. I'm, I'm a little, like, I unfortunately, I viewed the third Terminator in the same way I do the third Ninja Turtles movie where it's like, if I have to, I'll watch it, but I tend not to bring it up. <laughs> yeah. So unfortunately, I don't. My trivia is a little uh, loose on that. Oh, okay, okay, all right. Well, we'll, we'll yeah. I mean, we can talk about it. I even, just don't remember a lot. Yeah, yeah. T yeah, TX was okay. I mean, three three T three was you know not too bad. But um, the cool thing was, I felt all right. The 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 just the fair. Uh, was T one to T two because I feel like even like taking it to, even I remember T two coming when that when that came out and just the liquid metal even the CG back then holds up pretty well today and um, I just think had it not been for that I mean it, it was almost like you can't get higher than that so like what what else is cooler than a liquid metal um, you know robot or you know cybernetic form and that's why T three maybe maybe uh, wouldn't have didn't do do so well per se because like how could you top that and they couldn't. It was almost like, hey, let's get something. It's almost like they went lateral. Like, okay, let's get another uh, semi-liquid metal, you know, um, robot. Let's make her female this time. So it kind of, nah, it went lateral because they just couldn't ever go, you know, past liquid metal. I mean, once you went liquid metal, how can you go any cooler than that, I guess? Or That's actually a really good point because that second movie, keep in mind, I was, you know, I tell the story all the time. Of course, when we were little, my sister and I, we didn't have much in the way of babysitters. So, like, a lot of times, we, my dad went to the movies, unless it was something that was so horrific that we couldn't see, we went with him. So here I am, 
what, six, seven years old? I don't know. I think I was like in first grade when I came out with Team Terminator 2 for the first time. Scared the ever-loving bejesus out of me. Like, it was one of the most terrifying movies ever, but yet I couldn't look away. <laughs> like, it's still, it's just amazing how much it captured a mood where you really felt like this was the end of the world. And the T-1000, whenever that thing popped up, it's it's horrific because this thing, obviously, it's it's not like, you know, this living creature that has, like, thoughts or, like, you know... A, a conscience it's all just logic based <laughs> so of course mm-hmm. seeing him running after somebody and it's like just like that dead look in his eyes it's i don't think he, and it doesn't get any worse than that or like when it breaks through the glass and it turns to liquid metal just seeping through i'm like how in the world do you beat this thing <laughs> and it's insane yeah and not only that but it also can mimic it can actually i remember when he turned into uh, when it turned into uh, i think it was a uh john connor's uh stepmother and that scene where like he was he he completely looked like her, even talked like her, but then like she had that um uh that liquid metal um spear next to the original. Like yeah, she basically that's right. killed off and I, I saw that scene, I was like, Oh my gosh, like he can be anyone, anything, go through anything. Um the only thing I remember his only limit is that he can only change to something his size. He can't change to something smaller or something bigger. So it was almost like uh Gosh, it's it's it was like your worst night. It was almost like a, a, a sort of Freddy Cougar esque uh, thing there. He can just he can come at you. You don't have to be dreaming. He just comes at you any way in any possible uh, manner. So that was frightening. And uh, how how they you know I want to I guess hopefully there's no spoilers per se. I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. But <laughs> no, yeah, that was just a, a great challenge right there for any. Writer. I was going to say if you haven't seen Terminator Two and by this time, you know what. No offense, there's no hope for you because I mean, come on, that movie's everywhere. Yeah. Oh, you sometimes you can see it on uh, what was that movie channel? Um, AMC, I think, or it was another channel that's been giving it. It makes it feel like it's a classic now, and it, it kind of is because it, I don't know. It was like what 1990, 1991 around there, right? And it's like wow, twenty. It's gonna get there to like twenty five years old soon. So it's like. But it holds up very well. That CGI, it's, it's, it's almost like my friend and I, we, we're, we're, um, sometimes we look at 90s movies and I'm like, oh my gosh, 90s CGI. You know, it looks bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, it does, but unfortunately, T2, like, it, was the early, it was the beginning it, of the decade and it set the bar so high. It's like, it took forever for anybody to match it. Yeah, but still, like, this day, it's like, I guess they, if it was one of those things where, like, you know, liquid metal, it's chrome. And um, just to make it re- reflect, it's impressive back then, but. You couldn't really go wrong, too wrong with it, because it's almost like Toy Story. One of the reasons why Toy Story did so well as the first um, uh, 3D animation for, say, Dis- uh, for Pixar Disney was the fact that it's, um, you know, they're toys and toys are plastic. So uh, the natural uh, look of 3D back then was everything looked plastic. So it just fit very well. So there's one of those things where, like, 3D animation back then, I imagine, like, um, making something chrome or liquid metal. Um, and then just they used a, a video effect to make it you just go in back into the human form. It just was seamless back then that um, I, I still can't find any fault. Like, I'll watch it again. And I love it. It's one of those movies. It's kind of like Shawshank Redemption where you no matter what um, point in the movie you re- watch it, you've got to watch the whole thing now. Oh, I caught the movie. Oh, it's the tail end. Let me watch the whole thing. Like you might as well. Like, <laughs> Yeah, there's sometimes it's like I do that with like James Bond movies. I'm like, I've seen these things a million times. I own them on like eight different video formats. But if it's on TV, like in a marathon, I'll sit there and watch them all. It's, it's sad. Mm-hmm. It really is. So let's get back to you real quick, actually, in terms of, you know, you're creating. Do you have because 
obviously, you know, you being a writer and artist, do you have any sort of like creation rituals? Like, is there a certain mode that you have to get into in terms of what it be listening to music? Do you, you know, do you obviously like close yourself off? So what is it like as far as the headspace you had to get in in order to write hmm. or draw for that matter? Okay. Well, it's, that's great questions. Thank you. Um, I'd say if, I, if I'm working from home, um, there's, there's a, if I'm like on a weekend or, or if I'm, let's say, at, at night when I'm working, I um, I have a weird ritual of not wearing, uh, let's say, I, I wear just my regular clothes. I wouldn't go into pajamas because I feel like um, when I'm working, I have to think that I'm still like in a day of work, like when you're at your job. Um, you know, imagine trying to work with pajamas. You just won't be that productive because you're like, okay, I, I'm I'm ready to, ready to go to sleep with these pajamas. So I feel like, okay, um, you know, if even if let's say I start, to, let's say today, um, I, I I did some work earlier today, and although I'm it's my day off, I um, you know took a shower like and got dressed just like any other day. Uh, it's like a nine o'clock thing, you know. There's like if I was going to go to work, I just treat it the same way. Like, okay, this is. You know, time to be productive. So one of my rituals is just making sure I still feel like I'm, you know, in work mode. Not okay. Let me work in my pajamas. No. Okay, if I, it's time for pajamas, it's time for sleep. So I have that clear distinction between sleep and work. So that's one of the things. Uh, another thing is, um, let's say, with regards to music. That's a great. That's a great question because I feel like music, as much as I love it, I, I definitely listen to it on my commute. But I feel like when it comes to writing, I can't listen to music. I'd have to um, have quiet. And also turn off my internet. I, I actually turn off my Wi-Fi, and I have my phone with me in case I do have to, you know, like I say, have an email or a phone call. But I turn my Wi-Fi off and I just concentrate on writing. And in regards to, let's say, I'm creating artwork, then I actually on, on uh, at New York Comic Con that I have a Cintiq monitor. So it's a it's a monitor where you can basically draw. I keep that at like a say forty five degree angle, like if I were like a, a draftman table, a drafting table. Keep that at an angle, and I when I'm creating new artwork, I try not to listen to music. But let's say if I'm coloring, like a, like doing some coloring flats for a comic, right. then I can listen to right. music just because it's kind of like one of those things like you're kind of like mopping the floor. It's kind of like one of those things. It's a rhythm you get. So you, I don't think so much about colors per se, but when I'm cr- creating artwork. I try to keep. Um, I'll pause music and I'll and I'll and also the internet is another thing. I keep that off as well, because it's one of those things where like sometimes you feel like you know I need I need uh, I'm gonna draw this um, car. You know what? Let me go and look up cars for this. Oh, cool. Let me check my Facebook. Oh, you know what? Cool. Oh, I <laughs> like that. And then it it just becomes like a you know um, downward spiral where you get to you notice oh crap you know I spent an hour doing that you know to try to avoid that, that I you know just turn off my Wi-Fi. It's one of those things where I, it's it's almost like before I had the um, you know Photoshop and before I had the Cintiq monitor, it was just pen and paper. And so back then, when I would have pen, pen and paper, is one of those things. Where, okay, I just lock myself in my room and I just drew without any music. It's one of those things where I just let my artwork uh, come out of me sometimes. See, so that, that's when let's say when I'm working on Regenesis or something that's uh, focused on, on let's say in the deadline and whatnot. If I'm drawing out of fun, out of pure, just oh, I want to sketch and doodle, then maybe I'll 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 pop in a like an old CD, an older CD from let's say something from like the late '90s or or some of the metalcore 2000s, and and I'll and I'll draw. And sometimes I'll let the music direct what I'm going to draw. So I feel like oh, 
I hear a lyric, oh, cool, and I'll draw it out. So overall, my ritual is either if it's out of fun and love, put music on. When it's you know time to like get focused, take turn off music, turn off Wi-Fi, and um, just focus on the artwork and and take it from there until I uh, I fall asleep. I start to fall asleep. I'm like, okay, it's like one one or two o'clock. I try to cut it off because if I keep on going to three or four, then it's easy to you know do that, but then it's hard to wake up the next morning. So it's one of those things. Okay, I've got my responsibility, so I've got to like find a way to limit that. So overall, uh, it's just a matter of setting limits and and boundaries to certain things. And and I know certain rules. I just know I have to have the Wi-Fi off. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish I had your restraint as far as that goes, because I, I unfortunately fall into that a lot. Just even even if it's like you know editing the podcast. Of course, I'm saying to myself, oh, hey, you know, I'll check to see what's going on here. Or, you know, I'm looking up stuff, you know, as far as editing. And then it's like, oh. And, but then, you, of course, and I realize now why you do that. Because originally it's like, you know, why would you ever, like, shut yourself off like that? But then you'll start looking. When you have a deadline, I don't know if you're anything like me, but you'll start finding dumb things to look up when you know for a fact that you have to work. Yeah, it it ha- I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, it never happens. It definitely happens to me quite often. So that's why one of those things are like, um, even, you know, it's a good thing. Sometimes I dedicate uh, breaks when I go to, okay, I say to myself, okay, if I'm going to, you know, have a water break, I'm going to go and have some water. Or I'll have like a little, and a little snack. I'll say, okay, now I'll check out my, I use my iPad to like um, go into things because I feel like then I go to, uh, onto my couch and I look at the iPad. But I feel like if I if I do that on my my workstation, then I feel like it's it's starting to blur the lines between work and and, and play and whatnot. So I um I'll, I like the fact that it's it's a dedicated screen to like I, I can't do any work on that. <laughs> so it's just dedicated for like YouTube clips and you know all right maybe checking stuff on it. But uh, but now it's my my, my son's <laughs> he hijacked my iPad. So it's like one of those things. Like, <laughs> I mean, he doesn't. So you're not getting it back at this point. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where, like, you know, he he's gonna use. You know, he, my wife and him use it quite often. So it's one of those. Okay. So, but I like to use it sometimes just to, you know, just to check on, on um, some new stuff, or if not, um, YouTube clips, or, or you know, any little things like that. There, I use it for web surfing. But uh, awesome. Yeah. Which I'm actually really shocked about the music thing, only because. I guess in a way, I, I found that it's one of the few things, like, I get, the, I guess, the more, you know, chaotic, I guess, the music is the more focused I get. But seeing as how that's kind of the, how we ended up really sort of bonding, what are you listening to these days? Anything uh, got your attention or are you just kind of just listening to whatever grabs your mind? Uh, let's see. That's a good question. Um you know what? Actually, I've been listening to uh, the the new Mastodon. The new Mastodon CD. The... I don't remember the last time. Wait, was there one after the Hunter? Yes, it was one after the Hunter. I think it's once more around the sun. I believe that's the name of the title. I, um... Wow, I don't even remember that even coming out. Is that bad? Oh <laughs> uh, just... no, it's it's. Uh, well, actually, it was nominated for for Gram. One of the songs were nominated for the Grammy. Of course, it didn't win, but. Yeah, I heard, like, Tenacious D won a metal Grammy, which I kind of don't... No offense to, you know, Jack Black and Kyle Glass. I just don't see how they're really considered metal against, like, someone like Mastodon. Yeah, you know what's... The, the interesting thing is that that, uh, that nomination was for a song 
a tribute song that went on a tribute CD for Ronnie James Dio. So um, I heard the song, and it, it had a mix of acoustic and some electric um, distortion on it. But, um, yeah, it's one of those things, like, it was based off a metal song. So I guess, and then the weird thing is that two other nominations on that, um, nom- uh, uh, two other bands were nominated, also had, um, so it was it was Jack, uh, Genesis D, and I think, I think it was Anthra. I can't remember the la- the second band, but it was another band that was also on that same compilation CD. So it's one of those things where like Metal Injection posted about that. They were like, wow, that shows how lazy they were that they went, oh, well, let's check on this other CD uh, instead of checking an r- array of artists. They were like, oh, uh, two CDs, uh, two songs on this one CD should make it. And one of them did win. So, I mean, no respect, disrespect to Jack Black. I think he's also, you know, he's brilliant and he's absolutely very talented and whatnot. It's just, um, it's one of those things where like, um, you know, Metal Injection uh, caught it. Like they even uh, mentioned it. Uh, oh, we bet that it's not. Gonna, it's going to go to the most um, popular name on this list, and it just happens to be Tenacious D and whatnot. So, um, but yeah, but it's a little heartbreaking. Yeah, but it's one of those things where like I'm used to it. So it got to the point where like I just I completely boycott the Grammys, and and I don't. You know, I just I, I'll hear maybe something that happened on like online see not not so much for the grammys but for, on the metal section i'll just say uh, the best hard rock metal performance went to winner okay boop, that's it that's maybe two minutes of coverage that i need and that's it because the rest <laughs> of it's like uh it's just but there's definitely a really bad representation in terms of like i guess well the grammys always kind of get shafted as far as when it comes to like hard rock and especially metal because mm-hmm. i can understand why either I mean I don't agree with it, but I can understand why they wouldn't necessarily broadcast it. But it always just seems very odd the not necessarily the nominees, but I guess how they approach it. Because mm-hmm. it's like it always seems to not I shouldn't say always, but it has a tendency to go towards bands who you wouldn't normally classify as metal. I think I do think I think Deftones won a Grammy one year. I think it was it for White Pony, which was pretty remarkable. Yes. And it was I think after a- that. No, definitely. I'm sorry. Was that? <laughs> I'm sorry. It wasn't. It wasn't for like like a single that they put out. It was like a song on that CD, which still was a really heavy song. But so I was like, huh. I guess it was. It's just one of those weird things. I was thinking, oh, why are you going to pick Change? But they didn't. They they, they picked something else. But Change in the House of Fly. But oh, I'm sorry. Let me <laughs> which awesome. Off. I love how you did. Like you you said the whole title. So you know what? I would shake your hand if you were actually in the same room because <laughs> I love we we have to make that distinction. It's like you have to see the whole thing. You know. Yeah, because I was thinking, no, it was another song called Change, and I was like, uh, but not from them, from some other artists. And I don't want to be confused. I was like, no, I have to say Change in the House of Flies, exactly. Yeah, so, uh, oh, thank you. I'll take that handshake. And I remember that's one of the reasons, uh, one of the things we, we bonded so well at New York Comic Con. It was like, it was a natural conversation between you and I, and that's why I was so excited to do this, and I still am, and, and I'm so glad that I did because I'm having such a blast. So thank you so much for. Uh, no problem. This is an absolute. And I, I guess it's funny because like I love how now that I know what band you're into, we like occasionally we do spot checks because um I can't remember the band um you had actually sent me the YouTube link to, mm-hmm. the um, the one that uh, Matt Bruce and Barry did did the guest vocals on, which was fantastic. Yes, yeah, it was it was it was, it was interesting because I, I can't remember the the name of the band. I'm uh, hold on, I'm actually looking it up now because I have my phone on me. Um, great, I was about to say yeah, I was gonna look it up right now too. Um, Hands of Mercy, there you go. I'm sorry? Let's see. Hands of Mercy, uh, Missing Link is... Whoa, whoa, hold on. That actually just almost started to play there. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, the rest of this podcast is going to be me blasting the song off of my phone. (laughs) 
No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, the way I found out was because I was just curious on, like, I'm just dying for a new Buried Dead CD so badly because I felt like, you know, they're pretty faithful on giving, like, doing the two-year thing. Like, most bands do, like, every two years they pull out a CD. And they, they were one, especially. And I was surprised that um, it was, it was a, the, from the Mike Terry uh, Buried Dead, which I also enjoyed, 2009 to 2011 back to you know Matt Brusso and I was like wow they kept it it was like okay lineup change I would give that a year more to add to like when out an album but they put it out uh, in 2011 exactly two years from the um, Mike Terry and then Mike Terry was uh, he actually put out back to back years it was 2008 where he put out the self titled and in 2009 when he had um, it's nothing personal I believe right and you're definitely got one over me because I you know I. I, I feel so bad because I know, like, you know, as people, we shouldn't necessarily, you know, when things like, you know, I am a little afraid of change with something as kind of dedicated as Barrier Dead was once that, you know, once Mike Terry came in and obviously the sound changed a little bit. I admit I was one of those people that shot away from the band because I, I felt like my feelings were a little hurt. Hmm. Well, I felt like, well, the the, the way it happened, I remember it was, uh, was it 2007 where he announced the departure because he was going to go back to school to be a teacher. I was like, wow, okay, that's noble. That's commendable. So it wasn't like a, yeah. oh, creative differences or, or whatnot. So it was like, okay, that was on, on good terms. And then they had, I think it was Michael Crafter, I, I believe he was from... Uh, the Devil Wears Prada, right? Uh, kill Your Prom... Uh, kill the Prom... Uh, oh, that's kill the right. Prom- yeah. Yeah, that might okay, Michael Kraft, that's right. I killed the prom queen. I totally forgot yeah, about yeah, that band. Yeah. yeah, so it was one of those things where like, okay, he stepped in for a little while. Okay, I liked him because he had that whole Matt Brusso like um growl and, 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 and roar and I was like, Okay, great, I I liked it. Um but then he got homesick and that he, he left, so that was kinda weird. So then um Mike Terry stepped in and, and I liked Cassius. So when I saw I heard him that he was in a takeover, I was like, Cool, I like this and then I heard he did a uh, he redid one of the songs off of um, can't remember which which CD he re- he did re- redid it but he did well so I think when Barry the the, the self title came out I was very curious of what how how it came uh, how it was going to sound and it sounded especially amazing with that title track was it um, can't remember the title track not the title track per se but like the the big uh, lead single off of that um, oh I can't remember but I do agree though the self titled oh uh, sympathy sympathy Symphony, oh, sympathy, sympathy orchestra. Sympathy. Let me just look. Okay, because I, um, I can't remember now. I'm so like this is bad. Like my memory must be slowly fading. Yeah, but I remember when that came. I was like, oh my god, that sounds amazing. I loved. I love the way it sounds, especially just the. Um, it sounded so like uh, tragic, but at the same time, it was um, so epic with the sound of like there was, a, there was a point where like the guitar stopped and faded. Like, boom. It almost kind of sounded like a droning engine in a way. It was, it was really cool. Mm-hmm. So the oh, Sympathy Orchestra. So we both had parts of it. Or you, you, I think you may have had the whole thing. But uh, Sympathy Orchestra was a... I don't even know. Okay, that was it. Yeah. And so I remember when that came on, I was like, oh, my gosh, this sounds amazing. So um, then the rest of the album actually sounds very well. I, I, like, I like that album. And, you know, I know it had mixed reviews and whatnot. But what I liked the fact was the fact that he kept a lot of Matt Brusso's style to the songs, right? They were dark and heavy, but this felt more, um, I think the dark, very super dark, but I felt the others were just heavy and, and aggressive. This was like dark, almost mood where it was like, 
um tragic almost like the, the it's almost felt like almost like, like they mentioned like an orchestra like a symphony where it was like something dark but then um actually to be honest with you um sympathy orchestra if i were to have a soundtrack for Regenesis, sympathy orchestra would probably be the 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 song for uh, Regenesis, book one it, it just had that i remember listening to sympathy orchestra and flying over to vegas I was like, wow, this is the, you know, this is Regenesis. So I remember, um, I, I give credit to that one song. It was, it was such a powerful um, influence on, on Regenesis, even that song itself. That's really cool. Like now, of course, now having, once I reread it, having, you know, I guess read it, of course, with that in my mind. And it, of course, what I know, it does make a lot of sense now. That is actually really cool. Oh. I guess it was weird because he definitely had that Matt Brusso style. But then he, I guess he had these moments where I can't lie. He's got an amazing, you know, singing voice. So you couldn't deny him because what was the one song? I can never remember the name of it. Where I guess the, because um, there were a few of them where the choruses were just completely sung as opposed to going to metalcore breakdowns. Um, and... Yeah, I felt like there was one, especially year one. Uh, that was the song with Mark Tremonti of Alter Bridge. He was doing, and Creed. He was the guy, he did the solo on it. Um he he sings a chorus on that one where I mean well Mark Drummond does only the, the guitar solo which is another thing no a guitar solo on a Barry Dead song I was like wow so um, that was an but it was, um, solo towards like you know the three fourths of the song but then um, I remember overall there was a sung chorus to that and Dust to Dust I remember had also some singing to it but then um, it's nothing personal just nothing but it was it was a lot of singing. Some you know some heavy stuff, but it was mostly it became like almost a heavy alternative band, right? And I think that's what I think at the time what sort of soured me a bit. But I think maybe the fan base as a whole, I think maybe weren't really too thrilled with that. Only because I actually I never saw them live when Matt Brusso played. I saw them. During Music as a Weapon, I forget which year was this. This was definitely around the time when the self-titled came out. So I would say, yeah, it was about 2008. So it was that summer. Mm-hmm. And you could definitely tell there was a bit of a disconnect, I guess, because it would break into one of the, like, you know, one of the classic tracks. You know, like they'd play, like, either they broke into, like, either Legend or, you know, Mission Impossible 2, which I guess we should probably... Um, preface and saying that Barrier Dead has a um, tendency to, I guess, have a certain theme to their song titles. Um, for those who may not know, because I, I love, we just kind of got into it. We never really did do much of a background, but I know the one album. Um, what the heck was the name of that album? I should know this. Cover your tracks. Like that yeah. one was all like all the song titles were named after uh, Tom Cruise movies. Yes. So it was like you know losing it, all the right moves. Stuff like that. And then, you know, beating the breakdown, the album afterwards, it was all like, I think, what, storybook? Yeah, like fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like fairy tales and storybooks, which I know for the Mike Terry um, era, they kind of distanced themselves from that. So yeah. when uh, Matt Brusso came back, it was, I think, was it Kurt Vonnegut uh, book titles? Kurt Vonnegut, yeah, uh, his his book titles. Uh, it was it was a cool thing because I I saw the the theme. I didn't. I'm not too uh, familiar with Kurt Vonnegut uh, novels or his writings per se. So I had to look it up online. And when I looked it up, I was like, oh, that is so cool. It's one of those things where like you wouldn't automatically do that within any other band. You wouldn't like, oh, well, there's got to be a theme here, and it almost makes you like a detective. You're like, all right, I got to figure out. If you don't know it already, you have to figure out. So it's one of those things. Like that's what something that, that I, I look forward to. Any like a Matt Russo song now is like if you know if they do another album, I feel like 
what's going to be the next theme. Like that's going to make you, you know, it's almost like a consistent branding where you know that's a barrier that thing. The Matt oh, Russo, trademark. So it's it's fun now. Like I refer to it. It's, it's almost like you know, it's kind of like a like a Stanley cameo or a or a post credit scene. Now you look for that. You have to. It's like a Marvel tradition that you have to. You everyone waits after the credits. Like it's you can see the movie theater whenever you watch a, a Marvel movie. Everyone waits. <laughs> do all their credits and then boom you get that little you know easter egg or whatever you get at the post credit scene and it's like you um you know it's a standard and same with bear you dead and i didn't realize that with the beauty and the breakdown where the song titles obviously it had you know a fairy tale theme but what i didn't realize it went even further than that where the album steam kind of used beauty and the beast oh like throughout the album as a means of telling the story about an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. I I forget was it in a liner note somewhere I had read that you know it each you know song it's kind of like I guess it's told from I guess from both you know the you know the abuser's angle you know from the victim and I think it may be also like friends and bystanders or like it was a pretty deep album for what was you know a lot of people would just consider metalcore. Mm-hmm. And I, I still don't. Call- I still don't classify them as that. I, I still, I, I still see that, um, like um, hardcore influence. Like I, I hear it, you know, quite often. But uh, yeah, I, I do. I guess you could categorize them as metalcore, but I still don't see them as that. As that. I see them as a little bit more. Like I remember Wikipedia also at one point note, um, referenced them as new metal. Oh like, no! Yeah, no, 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 definitely not. No offense no. to new metal, but no, that's not right. No, no, it was one of those things. Like, I guess they were trying to figure out. Oh, I remember even buying the Beauty and the Breakdown, or was no, no, it was a uh, cover your tracks. Remember, sometimes you get a sticker on top of the packaging that said, "Oh, <laughs> sounds like uh, it says Pantera and and uh, what was it? The other band I was It was Pantera and Deftones, and you'll love Barry Day. I was like, "What Deftones?" No, 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 no. Whoa, whoa. Who wrote this? I don't know. It was like maybe like Pfizer Magazine says or. Um... <laughs> yeah, I remember during like, you know, like which, oh, man, we, you got to come back on because we got to get into this. Matter of fact, I might even have to split this up because I, I don't know. We might be running a little bit long, but I don't even care. But it was just so funny how, you know, during like I would say like the early to mid 2000s. I don't know. Was it the label that was doing it? Because there was always a sticker and it'd be like. Something really like brutal, like it would be something like cattle decapitation or cannibal corpse, and there'd always be a sticker on there. Oh, for fans of Taking Back Sunday and Blink One Eighty Two, and I'm like, wait, no, that's <laughs> where are you getting this information from? <laughs> they probably, I don't know who, maybe it was like, um, who knows? It's, it's one of those like, uh, I remember MP3.com had some like little weird t- meta tags in the bottom of certain um, MP3s that said, oh, um, they would, t- you know, ties bands like, like uh, Hate Breed. Hey, uh, this sounds like, um, I don't know. And they have like all these little meta tags in the bottom. Like, no, no, that, does, that doesn't sound like that at all or whatever. It's like, like it's kind of like almost Pandora could do that to you. Like if you let Pandora like you know, take you away and you keep on, if you don't say nothing and you don't, you know, put thumbs down to any of the, the songs, they'll just, you'll look into something from like Pantera and it turns into salsa somehow. Like what the hell, how do you get to that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's not good. Yeah. It's one of those things where, like, you know, I, I guess I left it on, um, where, um, you know, maybe I put my headphones down and I forgot that headphones were still on. And then like, I looked at, you know, I looked at my windows and I'm like salsa. And then I just looked back at the track. Like, oh my gosh. And I see how it got into that somehow, but it just, 
it was just so, ra uh, not random, it, it got to that somehow. I don't know how it mutated to salsa, but it eventually got there. But I'm like, huh, maybe it went through an El Nino somehow, and then it somehow, I don't know. It was one of those weird Right, because I guess El Nino, um, you know, they're predominantly Hispanic, right? Where the entire band is. Yeah. So then I guess they didn't, I guess, they, I don't know if they were going by title, because I know a lot of the, the music, you know, is definitely influenced by, you know, the culture. So it's, you know, a lot of percussion. So I guess maybe they're, they're just like that one little tiny strand of, connect, you know, connecting tissue that just branches off. Yeah, so that's one of those things where, like, maybe a computer uh, spotted out, hey, so if you like, you know, Celine Dion and, <laughs> and Morbid Angel, then you'll love. <laughs> oh, for, speaking of which, um, I forgot, a friend of mine had posted on their Facebook page, um, someone had taken performers, like, non-metal performers, and made T-shirts, but in a style of, like, you know, a lot of, like, you know, metal and extreme metal bands. Mm -hmm. So someone had, like, it was Celine Dion, but it was, like, written in, like, you know, that, that stereotypical metal font. Yes, and I remember that was actually, I gravitated towards that one because it said, my heart will go on and it had, like, a, a, like a flaming heart or something. But it was like, whoa, that, that title sounds metal enough. Like, my heart will go on. Like, depending on where you use it. You know, like, right. if, if Behemoth had an album, Behemoth, like, uh, the Polish metal band, um, if they, uh, excuse me, death metal, uh, they, they had that, um, as a title, My Heart Will Go On, You're like, hmm, what does that mean? You won't automatically think, you know, that, you know, sappy, you know, Titanic song, you'll think, oh, I don't know, depending on which, which, um, you know, which song they, eat, uh, this, which uh, band, or which uh, just uh, attitude they, they have, like, a certain theme or a certain uh, title can go completely different. Frank, thank you so much because this has been a lot of fun. Oh, definitely. And and, and I I'm very honored that uh you know we you know you've chosen chosen for us to, you know, to podcast and and it's been you know a great time and and it and it's just natural and and fun. So thank you so much. It was it was a huge pleasure. No problem. Um real quick though before you go, um anywhere we, people can find you like on uh Twitter because I know you mentioned your website was theartoffrank.com. Yeah. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Uh, www.theartofrank.com. And if you um, would like to, if you're interested in, uh, say, Regenesis Book 1 or Book 2 or even a T-shirt, uh, you can go to our Etsy page. It's etsy.com slash shop slash The Art of Frank. That's uh, where you can purchase our our, um, our products and whatnot. But uh, Twitter is definitely at The Art of Frank. Awesome, Frank. Thank you so much. Well, that'll do it for another episode of Agent Has Issues. I'm Adrian, and we will see you next issue.